Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Show me the clinical trial evidence. That's what a growing number of doctors are saying about COVID booster shots. Meanwhile, a UN initiative reportedly goes after doctors who don't follow official COVID policies. Texas's first ever border czar, the Lone Star State, now has someone supporting the governor and handling the situation at the southern border. More police officers disciplined in connection with Tyree Nichols' death. We bring you analysis on the culture of policing in the country and viewpoints that racism played a role in the tragedy. Up to $360 billion over the next decade. That's what a new Department of Education rule is estimated to cost. And does President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan benefit the wealthy? A growing number of doctors say that they will not get COVID-19 vaccine boosters. They say there's a lack of clinical trial evidence. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. Infectious disease expert Dr. Todd Lee from McGill University says, quote, I have taken my last COVID vaccine without a randomized clinical trial level of evidence. It will reduce my risk of severe disease. Updated booster shots were cleared in the U.S. and Canada in the fall of 2022, primarily based on data from experiments with mice. And the CDC recommends one updated booster dose for everyone aged five years and older. Dr. Vinay Prasad says he wouldn't take any additional shots until clinical trial data become available. He also highlighted analysis of all studies done on myocarditis. He says at least 40% of studies used only one classifier, such as age, sex, vaccine type, and number, when they should use four. If you actually provide the proper statistic to the men in the right demographic, it is much higher than if you lump everyone together. And others, such as Dr. Joseph Freeman, have previously called for a halt to the administration of the vaccines. In addition, now we have multiple autopsy studies that find essentially conclusive evidence that the vaccines are inducing sudden cardiac deaths. Epidemiologist Allison Krug co-authored a study that found teenage boys were more likely to suffer heart inflammation after COVID-19 vaccination than COVID-19 infection. She called on people to join the movement to demand appropriate evidence. She says, pay close attention to note this isn't anti-vaccine sentiment. This is provide evidence of benefit to justify ongoing use. The CDC says adverse events are rare but can cause long-term health problems and that they usually happen within six weeks of getting a vaccine. Meanwhile, a UN initiative has allegedly been targeting doctors and nurses who don't follow the official COVID-19 policies. Nicole Sorotek is a registered nurse in Nevada who is the alleged victim of ongoing harassment. She says she's received threats including against her children and was forced to change her name. Sorotek heads a patient advocacy network, AFLN. The harassment began after Sorotek testified before Senator Ron Johnson in February of 2022. She detailed the withholding of steroids and ibuprofen and the prescribing of remdesivir in COVID treatments. The terms Project Halo, Team Halo, and Hashtag Team Halo continually cropped up in the online harassment. Team Halo is a social media influencer campaign formed as part of the United Nations Verified Initiative and the Vaccine Confidence Project. One support provider is the Rockefeller Foundation. Dr. Peter McCullough, one of America's most published cardiologists, says he's also been the target of the Team Halo campaigns. Team Halo did not respond to multiple requests for comment, including on how it verifies the credentials of its members. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. $5.4 billion in relief money may have been lost to fraud in pandemic support programs. A federal watchdog issued an alert yesterday. Data scientists analyzed three taxpayer-funded programs aimed at helping small businesses. They flagged almost 70,000 Social Security numbers for potential fraud and identity theft. These programs dispersed a total of nearly $1.2 trillion. Using publicly available Social Security Administration information to verify Social Security numbers, the investigators found that numbers were either issued, not issued, or had mismatched name and date of birth information, suggesting potential identity fraud. The watchdog said the programs, quote, were more susceptible to fraud due to the elevated urgency in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Texas now has its own border czar. He's set to support the governor in handling the border crisis. And tomorrow, the first of multiple hearings about the border crisis will be held in the U.S. House of Representatives. 
Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Monday announced the state's first border czar to support his office in handling the border crisis. Abbott chose longtime Border Patrol agent Mike Banks for the role. Mike Banks is an award-winning Border Patrol agent. He has held important Border Patrol leadership positions for more than 20 years, serving under four presidents. He has served on the border here in the Rio Grande Valley, as well as in Arizona and California and at the United States Border Patrol headquarters in Washington, D.C. The governor went on to say that Banks knows how to solve the most pressing issues. Some of those are fentanyl coming into the country, cartels creating violence in the area, and supporting farmers who firsthand suffer from the influx of people. I'm extremely humbled to be selected by the governor for this opportunity. Protecting national security and protecting the borders of this nation has been something that I have dedicated the last 23 years of my life to, and I'm very passionate about it. Abbott says banks will be stationed close to the border. His tasks will include traveling up and down the border area and reporting directly to the governor's office, while at the same time working with state agencies. And in other border-related news, the Judiciary Committee of the House of Representatives is set to hear witnesses in a hearing about the border crisis on Wednesday. The committee's Republicans said in a Monday news release that the hearing, Biden's Border Crisis Part 1, will examine border security, national security, and how fentanyl has impacted American lives. The first three witnesses are a Texas judge, an Arizona sheriff, and the co-founder of a project seeking to prevent fentanyl deaths. New updates surrounding the death of Tyree Nichols. More first responders have been disciplined, including officers and three EMS workers. We hear some analysis on this in terms of culture and alleged racism within the nation's policing system. Joining us now is Barrington Martin II, a former congressional candidate from Georgia and the host of the Barrington Report. It's great to have you with us today, Barrington. Glad to be here as always, Kevin. Memphis police have confirmed that two more officers have been disciplined in connection with Tyree Nichols' death. That brings the total number of disciplined officers to seven. In your view, what needs to happen in terms of the policing culture pertaining to race in this country? I think the policing culture overall has to be better. I don't think it pertains necessarily towards race. I just think that when you have a culture in America that demonizes police, when you have a culture in America that ostracizes police, and you also have a culture in America, let's let's be be very clear here, in which has a history of, of uh, tumultuous actions from the police to black people. I think that um, we we need to we need to have better police. We need to erase the standards instead of lower them. Over the last couple of years, with the defund the police movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Police have been totally been ostracized. Some of the best people in the world for the job do not want the job because of that. And now you have police departments all over the country lowering their standards and we get incidents like this. And I just think that ultimately in order for us to have better policing, we need to have better put people in those jobs. No policy or no laws are going to make the situation better. But the people, the individual is going to make this situation better. The defunding the police movement has a cause and effect here, of course, and raising the standards is important. Now, I want to talk about some viewpoints. CNN published an opinion piece on Nichols' death. Commentator Van Jones opined that the five black cops charged with his murder were driven by racism. Jones said, quote, black people are not immune to anti-black messages. What is your reaction to this? It was totally irresponsible for CNN to allow their platform to post such an erroneous message. Truth of the matter is that in this incident, there were six black men, and five of those black men are the alleged um, criminals, so to speak, and there was one black victim. Just for the simple fact that there are six black men, how could it be racist? I think that we have to we have to take away this archaic, old-fashioned, outdated look into race and involving race into everything that is actually happening in this, in this country because everything is not racist. Can can a person be a bad person? Can a person just lack judgment and lack the necessary? individual tools needed to do a great job. I think that once we're able to get out of this mindset that everything has to be about race, I think that we will see things for what they actually are. Dr. King told us we should judge people by the content of the character and not the color of their skin. And it seems like to me that we're regressing. We're not moving forward. We're moving, we're taking steps backward. I see what you mean about the importance of looking at this on an individual level. Diversity has been a proposed solution to end racism in policing, and there are concerns racism in policing exists at a systemic level, and now a policy and research coordinator for the Movement for Black Lives told ABC News that individuals adapt the norms of the system, so therefore diversity would be irrelevant to tackling that problem. What is your stance on this? 
I vehemently reject this. It's not the system. It's on the individual level. See, what happens is there is no system in place right now in the United States of America that seeks to subjugate one race of people. What is happening is that you have people or individuals, rather, with their own personal feelings in in positions of power and enforces their own biases until specific people and those while they're in their positions of power. I think that we have to take a step back and understand that it's never been about diversity. It's been about the content and of the character of the person within these specific positions. And again, I think that for the last two or three years, we've got this wrong completely. It's not about equality. It's not about equity in that sense. It's about understanding that the best people need to be put forward for these types of positions that involves being a public servant. We're not getting down to the core of the issue. And the core of the issue runs back to the fact that there needs to be better people for the job. And this is on an individual basis and not on a collective basis as we've been led to believe. Well, thank you so much for offering your viewpoint on this complex issue and this tragedy. Barrington Martin II, a former congressional candidate from Georgia and the host of the Barrington Report, it's great to have your analysis today. Thank you again, Kevin. The House Oversight Committee will hear from former Twitter employees next week. They're expected to testify about the company's handling of reporting on Hunter Biden. The chairman of the Oversight Committee, Representative James Comer, had this to say yesterday about the upcoming hearing. We're going to talk to Twitter employees because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the laptop. And we're going to talk about that laptop. We're going to start with the, with the hard drive because there's a lot of evidence on the hard drive that would suggest that Joe Biden knew very well what his family was involved in. Uh, even though he said he never met with any of these people, there's pictures of Joe Biden with these people. There's logs from Joe Biden uh, meeting with these people. There's emails uh, from some of these people uh, texting and emailing Hunter Biden saying, thanks for setting up the meeting with your dad. I mean, this is why we're investigating. This family has taken in millions and millions of dollars from our adversaries, mainly in China. And I think we need to determine what, you know, what was that money for? Who, who supplied that money? The hearing is scheduled for February 8th. The former Twitter executives are expected to be Vijaya Gotti, James Baker, and Yul Roth. It will be the first they've appeared before Congress to discuss Twitter's decision to block news on Hunter Biden's laptop in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election. Comer said yesterday that the committee wants to make sure national security is not compromised. Republicans have said the Hunter Biden laptop story was suppressed for political reasons. The White House, on the other hand, calls Republican investigations into Hunter Biden divorced from reality political stunts. A new rule proposed by the Department of Education could cost up to $360 billion over the next decade. That estimate comes from Penn's Wharton School. The rule would overhaul one of the department's income-based repayment plans. It would cut borrowers' payments to a specific percentage of their disposable income. The plan would slash monthly costs for undergraduate borrowers by as much as half. The average four-year graduate could see savings of as much as $2,000 per year. The Department of Education estimates the cost at nearly $140 billion, but is based on static enrollment. The Penn model includes increased eligibility because of the new payment plan. It projects the cost to taxpayers between $330 billion and $360 billion. Meanwhile, a separate study says President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan benefits the wealthy. A University of Virginia report says that the present student loan repayment payment how says that the present student loan payment pause benefited high-income individuals more than anyone else. The study revealed that the top half of earners garnered 70% of the benefit. A Democrat-led U.S. Senate committee is alleging that former President Donald Trump weaponized the Department of Justice. It's based on a New York Times report citing anonymous sources. The committee is also claiming former special counsel John Durham was part of that weaponization. Durham investigated the handling of the Trump-Russia probe. The New York Times says the sources in its report refused to go on record. The report further accused Durham of using Russian intelligence documents to delve into the emails of a George Soros assistant. The report was released after the Republican-controlled House approved the formation of its own committee investigating the weaponization of the federal government. The chairman of that committee launched an investigation into the use of federal agencies against conservatives. The Brooklyn District Attorney's Office is investigating allegations of voter fraud. A local paper reported that Brooklyn Democrats added people's names to petitions they didn't sign and demanded bribes. 
Five Brooklyn citizens said their names were on petitions asking to remove candidates for Democratic Party positions. This was during the June primary elections last year. The DA office spokesman told the Epic Times that this matter is under investigation. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake has a request for the Republican National Committee. She wants them to pay some of her bills from several election lawsuits challenging the state's results. Lake says she heard the RNC raised a couple hundred million dollars for election integrity, adding that election integrity is something the people want. Last week, Arizona's Supreme Court struck down another request from Lake. She wanted the high court to take up her election appeal. It's currently being heard by the Arizona Court of Appeals. A hearing on Lake's challenge is scheduled for February 1st. This after the Court of Appeals approved an expedited briefing schedule earlier this month. And coming up, Utah bans gender transition procedures on minors. Governor Spencer Cox signed Senate Bill 16 over the weekend. We have that and more just after this break. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says Florida had the largest budget surplus in history last year. He says Florida wants to give back to taxpayers and unveiled the Moving Florida Forward infrastructure plan yesterday. But it's only possible because we've been prudent with with how we've managed the state's fiscal policy. We've taxed lightly, but we've spent conservatively and uh, and we've regulated very uh, reasonably and had a really good climate for economic activity. And we're proud to announce today that we're going to be pursuing a moving Florida forward initiative. It's going to be um, a proposal to expedite 20 major interstate and roadway projects across the state of Florida in the next four years. DeSantis says that there are multiple existing traffic relief projects, but that they would have taken over 20 years in the current course to provide relief. He added that they are all projects in the pipeline that have been approved by local communities. Florida appears ready to become the 26th state to allow so-called constitutional carry. The Florida House Speaker says an upcoming bill would allow Florida residents to carry concealed firearms without a permit. The bill's sponsors say the legislation is to allow law-abiding citizens to defend themselves against the lawless. Persons legally prohibited from carrying or owning a firearm would still be prohibited. The House Speaker said the bill would, quote, remove the government permission slip to require a permit to exercise a constitutional right. The Florida Sheriff's Association also backs the bill and spoke in support of it. Utah Governor Spencer Cox signed a new bill on Saturday. It bans hormone replacement and gender transition surgery for minors. Senate Bill 16 specifically bans hormonal transgender treatment to new patients who were not diagnosed with gender dysphoria before the bill went into effect. It also prohibits gender transition surgical procedures on a minor. As Cox put it, more and more experts, states, and countries around the world are pausing these permanent and life-altering treatments for new patients. He added that more research can help determine the long-term consequences. A U.S. appeals court on Monday shot down Johnson & Johnson's bankruptcy strategy. J&J was attempting to offload tens of thousands of lawsuits through a legal strategy. J&J faces more than 38,000 lawsuits alleging that the company's baby powder and other talc products caused cancer. J&J faces $3.5 billion in verdicts and settlements. The company filed so-called Texas two-step bankruptcies to avoid the lawsuits. The tactic involves creating a subsidiary to absorb the liabilities and to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy immediately. The court ruled that the J&J subsidiary faced no financial distress and the ruling revives those lawsuits. Airplane manufacturer Boeing will deliver its last commercial 747. The original jumbo jet revolutionized air travel over five decades ago. Boeing will deliver the last commercial 747 to Atlas Air in the surviving freighter version today. The Boeing 747 was designed in the late 1960s to meet the demand for mass travel. It was the world's first twin-aisle, wide-body jetliner. The first 747 took off from New York on January 22, 1970. At the time, the 747 more than doubled airplane capacity to 400 seats, and that in turn reshaped airport design. Boeing's chief executive, Dave Calhoun, has said the company may not design a new airliner for at least a decade. 
Over 52,000 pounds of charcuterie sausage are being recalled in the U.S. The Department of Agriculture's Food Safety and Inspection Service announced the recall on Sunday. The problem was discovered during a routine inspection. The agency says listeria was found on surfaces that came in contact with the products. The recall covers a range of products produced between May and November last year and distributed nationwide up until January 17, 2023. Brands included are Frederick's by Meyer, Boar's Head, Colomeco's Primo Naturale, Del Duca, and Gourmet Selection. The products bear the establishment number EST-54. A humpback whale washed ashore on a New York beach yesterday morning. Local officials say the cause of death is not yet known. It is a male humpback whale. Uh, we haven't had a whale wash up on the shores here uh, probably in about five years. Uh, this is by far the largest we've seen uh, on these shorelines uh, in over a decade. The male humpback whale was spotted on Lido Beach in the town of Hempstead, New York. The 35-foot whale was dead by the time he was found. The whale is so large that crews had to use a backhoe to move it higher up on the beach to avoid the next high tide. The animal showed no obvious signs of trauma. Federal authorities will conduct an autopsy today to determine the cause of death. NOAA says there's been close to 180 humpback whale wash-ups in 13 Atlantic states since 2016. Many of the deaths are viewed as unusual and are still being investigated. The agency attributes about half of whale deaths to being hit by ships. The Atlantic Marine Conservation Society will determine if that was the case here. And up next, will the U.S. go to war with China in the near future? A four-star general makes a prediction and a top lawmaker also weighs in. U.S. Marines reactivated a new base camp on Guam, aiming to check Beijing's military threat in the Pacific. We'll have the details when we return. Welcome back. At least 95 people are dead after a mosque bombing in Pakistan yesterday. Now the Pakistani Taliban denies involvement. According to Pakistani authorities, a suicide bomber detonated himself inside a mosque in northwest Pakistan. The roof of the building collapsed, injuring more than 200 inside. On Twitter, a Taliban commander claimed responsibility for the blast, but the militant group later denied any involvement in the attack. The backtracking came after the Afghan foreign ministry condemned attacks on worshippers as violating Islamic teachings. The city of Peshawar, where the bombing took place, is on the edge of the Pakistani tribal region that borders Afghanistan. The area is a frequent target of terrorist groups, including the Pakistani Taliban. The mosque was located in a compound that includes the headquarters of the local police force and a counterterrorism department. NATO will continue to strengthen its partnership with Japan amid the ongoing war in Ukraine. That's what NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said when he visited Japan today. Uh, We live in a more dangerous, a more unpredictable world, and then we need uh, strong partnerships between uh, countries and alliances that believe in democracy and freedom. And uh, Japan is uh, one of our oldest and uh, uh, most capable partners. Stoltenberg visited a Japanese airbase, met Japanese troops, and viewed aircraft and equipment. He said his visit is a way to strengthen further the partnership between NATO and Japan. The NATO chief thanked Japan for the support it provided to Ukraine during the war. He also noted that the war in Ukraine matters for all of us. Stoltenberg also met with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. Stoltenberg's trip to Northeast Asia is aimed at strengthening ties with U.S. allies in the face of the war in Ukraine. Also visiting the region is U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. He met with his South Korean counterpart in Seoul, South Korea today. They pledged to expand military drills and boost nuclear deterrence planning. This is in order to counter North Korea's weapons development and prevent a war. North Korea launched an unprecedented number of missiles last year, including intercontinental ballistic missiles. Our commitment to the defense of the ROK remains ironclad. The United States stands firm in its extended deterrence commitment, and that includes the full range of U.S. defense capabilities, including our conventional, 
nuclear and missile defense capabilities. The defense chiefs said they agreed to boost information sharing and joint planning. They also committed to expand the level and scale of this year's combined military exercises. The U.S. will deploy more strategic assets, such as aircraft carriers and bombers. The South Korean defense chief has said the two countries will hold nuclear tabletop exercises in February. It will be under the scenario of a North Korean nuclear attack. The two sides also discussed trilateral cooperation with Japan. A U.S. lawmaker is responding to a prediction about a future war with communist China. A four-star Air Force general recently predicted that the U.S. will go to war with China in 2025. Republican Congressman Michael McCall of Texas said he believes a prediction that the U.S. will go to war with China in 2025 is correct. Four-star Air Force General Mike Minihan is head of the Air Mobility Command. He recently made the prediction in a memo to his officers. According to NBC News, the general said, quote, I hope I am wrong. My gut tells me we will fight in 2025. Xi secured his third term and set his war council in October 2022. Taiwan's presidential elections are in 2024 and will offer Xi a reason. The general added that the 2024 U.S. presidential elections would also make the U.S. distracted. He said this could benefit the Chinese regime. McCall, chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, reacted to the memo on Fox News this past Sunday. I hope he's wrong as well. I think he's right, though, uh, unfortunately. I mean, China's mounting... Wait, an actual war? Well, I, I think China's looking at uni- reunification of Taiwan, right? That's how they call it. McCall suggested that the Chinese regime could try to influence Taiwan's 2024 presidential election. And if the outcomes are bad for the regime, they could be looking at a military invasion. We have to be prepared for this. Um, and it could happen... I think as long as Biden is in office projecting weakness, as he did with Afghanistan that led to Putin invading uh, Ukraine, uh, that the odds are very high we could see a conflict uh, with China and Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific. Not everyone agrees with the prediction. The Pentagon confirmed that the general's memo is real, but they said that the general's remarks are not representative of the department's view on China. Democratic Congressman Adam Smith, who's also on the House Armed Service Committee, said such a war is highly unlikely. The U.S. Marine Corps is boosting its footprint in the Pacific region. Camp Blas in Guam is the Corps' first new base in 70 years. The Corps says the base will serve as a key for the Pentagon to further its 2022 national defense strategy. One of the plan's top priorities is to counter, quote, the growing multi-domain threat posed by China. Camp Blas is the first new facility the Corps has opened since 1952. It's partially funded by Japan and covers a 4,000-acre area. Construction isn't fully completed at the moment, but it's slated to house 5,000 troops upon completion. The U.S. Treasury sanctioning a Chinese satellite manufacturer. An investigation has revealed the company supplied satellite imagery to Russia for the Ukraine war. It's known as Spacity, or the Tianyi Space Science and Technology Research Institute. The private company is based in Changsha City of China's Hunan province, with offices in Beijing and Luxembourg. According to the Treasury, it allegedly gave Russia satellite images in order to enable Wagner combat operations in Ukraine. The Wagner Group is a de facto private army directly under the control of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The U.S. has labeled it as a transnational crime organization. What's more, Wagner has sent thousands of soldiers to fight for Russia in Ukraine. The Treasury sanctions block all transfers, payments, and exports of any U.S. property or interests to Spacey. The company has not yet publicly responded to the move. Entity's sister media, the Epic Times, found far-reaching ties between Space T and China's military, the People's Liberation Army. The company is also reportedly partnered with Beijing's military civil fusion project, one of the Chinese regime's leading efforts to modernize and develop its military. The satellite maker is one of 16 total entities to be slapped with U.S. sanctions, all of them believed to be part of Wagner's global network. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, is sending fighter jets to Ukraine on the table? The country's defense minister is in Paris today with a big ask for President Macron. In France, concern grows over gender identity being taught in classrooms as requests for gender transitions among minors have significantly increased. More shortly here on NTD News Today.
Now over to Europe. Will Western allies send fighter jets to Ukraine? The country's defense minister is expected in Paris today to meet with President Emmanuel Macron. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Fresh off securing supplies of battle tanks last week, Ukraine plans to push for Western fourth-generation fighters like F-16s. President Biden has ruled out providing the war-torn country with the jets. But France and Poland appear to be willing to at least consider it. Macron says by definition, nothing is excluded when it comes to military assistance. The French president stressed any such move would depend on several factors, including the need to avoid escalation and assurances that the aircraft would not touch Russian soil. Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki has also not ruled out a possible supply of F-16s to neighboring Ukraine. But Morawiecki says any such transfer would take place in complete coordination with NATO countries. Meanwhile, a cargo of over 60 Bradley fighting vehicles left South Carolina for Ukraine last week. The vehicles are included in the latest $2.5 billion Ukraine military aid package. The Bradley armored fighting vehicle is operated by three crew members. It is equipped with multiple weapons systems and can carry up to seven infantry around the battlefield. The hope is that the vehicles will help Ukraine regain territory they lost by leveling the playing field regarding military hardware. The war in Ukraine has killed tens of thousands of people and driven millions from their homes. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Kremlin denies that President Putin threatened former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson with a missile strike. Johnson made the claim in a new BBC documentary on how the West grappled with Putin in the years leading up to the war in Ukraine. He threatened me at one point and said, you know, uh, Boris, I don't want to hurt you, but uh, with a missile, it would only take a minute or something like that, you know. Uh, you know jolly. Uh, but I think from the the very relaxed tone that he was taking, uh, the sort of air of detachment that he seemed to have. He was just playing along uh, with my attempts to get him to negotiate. Johnson said the remark came after he warned a war would result in sanctions and more NATO troops on Russia's borders. Moscow said there were no threats with missiles during the conversation in February last year. The Kremlin spokesman said Johnson was lying or may have misunderstood what Putin said. The former prime minister said the conversation took place after he visited Kyiv in a last-ditch attempt to show Western support for Ukraine. War broke out a few weeks later. Firefighters across the U.K. have voted overwhelmingly to strike in a dispute over pay. The Fire Brigade's union said Monday almost 90 percent of its members backed walkouts. The union said it was giving the government and employers 10 days to make an improved offer before deciding its next move. If they go ahead, the walkouts will be the first nationwide firefighter strike since 2003. Union members rejected a below-inflation 5% pay offer last November. The Fire Brigade's union said the strikes are an absolute last resort as members struggle to afford the basics. A spokesman for the prime minister said strike action would be disappointing and concerning for the public and that the government will continue to work with the union. Turning to France, a nationwide strike today, the second one this year. Workers are protesting over government plans to change the country's retirement policies. The government wants to raise the age from 62 to 64. The last protests on January 19th saw more than a million people take to the streets of France, according to official figures. Unions are hoping to top that today. For now, the government hasn't budged on its plans. Also in France, the number of minors receiving cross-sex procedures has increased significantly in recent years. And guidelines released by the French government allow children and teenagers to change their names and pronouns, sometimes without parental consent. Entity's France correspondent David Vives has more. In recent years, the French government has begun to address the question of gender in French schools. According to a government report published in early 2022, Requests for gender transition procedures among minors have significantly increased. The report found that in 2020, at least 294 cross-sex procedures were performed, compared with only 8 in 2013. It also says that the trans teens don't have sufficient medical resources. Some parents' associations say public health authorities are biased in how they address the gender question. 
and that the Ministry of Education has been promoting the LGBT movement inside classrooms. We make people believe that we are making the children care about diversity, but in reality, we are making them care about gender fluidity. And somewhere along the line, we are finally instilling in their minds that there is no longer any reality to biological sex, that identity is something that we choose personally. In 2021, Education Minister Jean-Michel Blanquet released new gender guidance for schools. It says that teachers need to refer to a student with whatever first name they want to be called with. Oduge says LGBT activists who are present in schools sometimes push children to take steps without parents' consent. Some activist groups advise young people not to change their first name but on the other hand, to change their pronoun, as the guideline is silent on this point. They can indeed ask for the pronoun to be changed without needing the consent of both parents. According to public figures, more than 30,000 French 15 to 19-year-olds identify as transgender or non-binary. SOS Education, which has been working on the gender topic for years, says there is no place for those who are critical of LGBT teachings in French classrooms. Oduge says the French education minister only supports one way of thinking. There's censorship of any opposing arguments, and so we are experiencing an ideological movement, which actually puts the best interest of children and their health behind ideological and therefore political interests, but also financial interests, since it's a financial boost for the pharmaceutical companies and the cosmetic surgeons, as the numbers of surgeries are exploding among the young. She says gender transition proponents are not open about the risks from cross-sex surgeries for children, such as infertility. It has to be said that these are extremely invasive treatments, affecting both the psychological and physical health of children, who were in good health before. The treatments have never received marketing authorization to be given to children who are not ill. But the current activism is about saying it's not a disease, it's a new social norm. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Over in Spain, a major drug bust. Police seized over $100 million worth of cocaine after raiding a cattle ship off the Canary Islands. There were close to five tons of cocaine. The ship had stopped at ports in about a dozen countries before the raid last Tuesday. Police said drug smugglers had started using livestock ships because it was more difficult for authorities to trace their illicit cargo. A police spokesperson warned that international organizations are reinventing themselves to transport drugs from Latin America to Europe. Police arrested 28 crew members on the ship. And just ahead, Israeli protesters object to the prime minister's plans to overhaul the country's courts. The proposals would strengthen political control over judicial appointments. And a small village in the Netherlands becomes a hotspot for treasure hunters. People are trying to find jewelry purportedly buried there by the Nazis during World War II. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. A lost radioactive capsule has Australian authorities out in full force. Australia's fire and emergency services set off a radiation alert. Footage from Western Australian authorities shows people searching for the capsule along a stretch of road. The search extends from the Perth metropolitan area in the west to a mining site in the northern part of the province. The capsule was part of a gauge used to measure the density of raw iron ore. It's believed to have slipped off a truck during transport sometime in the past two weeks. By the time it was found to be missing, the truck had already traveled over 800 miles in Western Australia. Authorities have deployed more personnel and equipment for the search. Uh, today we haven't found it, um, but the search continues and our request for assistance from the Commonwealth has been answered. And we've had um, teams from the Australian Nuclear Science and Tech Organization, Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety, and also from the Australian Defence Force um, uh, come over to assist. Uh, those teams are on the ground as of uh, yesterday, and they're going to search all the metropolitan streets that we know that this device has been on, and also all the way from, from Perth to the mine site north of Newman. 
The round silver capsule is only a few millimeters in height and diameter, but officials warned residents not to touch it should they spot it. That's because the content may cause radiation burns or illness, though it poses a relatively low risk to the general community. In Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu plans to overhaul the country's courts, but investors and company leaders are concerned it would hurt the economy. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Hundreds of Israeli tech workers went on strike in Tel Aviv last week. They're protesting the planned reforms to Israel's justice system. We need for our businesses uh, to have strong legal standing and for strong legal standing you need the supreme court as strong as it has been until today and any reforms need to be changed and executed in a timely and a very well structured manner the proposed overhaul would strengthen political control over judicial appointments it would also weaken the supreme court's ability to overturn legislation or rule against the government prime minister benjamin netanyahu dismissed the outcry We are committed to preserving the independence of the courts, which will be identical to what prevails in most democracies in the world. Nobody will harm intellectual property rights and the honoring of agreements, values which are sacred to us and which are the critical test. They are the critical test for investors over time and therefore there's no reason for fear-mongering. Israeli high-tech firms brought in $51 billion between 2020 and 2022. The tech industry accounts for 15% of the country's overall economic output, 10% of its workforce, more than half of its exports, and a quarter of its tax revenue. Industry leaders say an independent legal system is crucial to protecting their intellectual property. Analysts say the conflict highlights a gap between tech-focused hubs and cities and the current conservative government. Netanyahu faces trial for corruption charges, but maintains that he is innocent and the Supreme Court recently forced him to fire his pick for interior minister over a tax conviction. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. In the Netherlands, a village has become the center of a treasure hunt for World War II treasures. Authorities released a map that supposedly shows the location of jewelry looted by the Nazis during World War II. This hand-drawn map purportedly shows the location of a stash of buried treasure looted by the Nazis during the Second World War. It has sparked a modern-day treasure hunt in a tiny Dutch village called Omeren. It has a population of just 715, located about 50 miles southeast of Amsterdam. Yes, it is of course spectacular news that has enthralled the whole village, but not only our village, also people who do not come from here. Because all kinds of people have been spontaneously digging in places where they think that treasure is buried, with a metal detector. I didn't notice it much where I live, but elsewhere in the village, residents have seen people digging really deep with the shovel, often without permission. I can imagine that this causes some unrest in the village. The treasure hunt began this year when the Dutch National Archive published, as it does every January, thousands of documents for historians to pour over. Most of them went largely unnoticed, but the map was an unexpected viral hit. It includes a sketch of a cross-section of a country road and another with a red X at the base of one of three poplar trees. Well, we found a, a public record, a file of the Property Management Institute in the Netherlands that made several attempts to recover um, looted jewelry and after the World War. And in the record itself is a map made by a German soldier who witnessed the burying of this loot, the burying of the treasure. In the summer of 1944, Arnhem was occupied by the Nazis. This World War II frontline was bombed and a group of German soldiers saw an opportunity. So this German soldier says in his witness statement that, that his company was in Arnhem in August of 44 when there was a bombing. A bank building gets hit and the vault gets hit, uh, hit as well and all the possessions that were in the vault are on the streets. They pocket what they can get and they keep it in ammunition boxes, uh, bread packaging, everything they can find, and they keep it hidden for several months. But then, in some, around April 45, when the Allies are moving in, it's getting a bit hot under their feet and they decide to bury the treasure just where they are. So far, nobody has reported finding anything. 
Just ahead, at a zoo in Mexico, the Adeli penguin family added six more little members, much to the delight of visitors. We'll be back with that story soon here on NTD News. A professional U.S. skier was killed in an avalanche in Japan yesterday. 31-year-old Kyle Smain was, out, was one of two men found without vital signs after being engulfed by the massive snow. Weather authorities issued an avalanche warning for the area after heavy snowfall in the past few days. Five foreigners in total were caught in the avalanche on Sunday. The other three skiers managed to get down the mountain on their own. Police were unable to immediately begin a search on Sunday because of bad weather. A 12-member rescue team was sent out Monday morning. Smain was a gold medalist in the Freestyle Ski and Snowboarding World Championships in 2015. His wife confirmed the tragedy on Instagram. Live Golf is expanding. The 2023 schedule includes 14 events in seven countries. That's double the number of live events from the last year, the tour's first year. And the league has set aside a total of $405 million in prize money. The season begins with a tournament in Mexico in February and ends in Saudi Arabia in November. Bankrolled by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, Live Golf has lured players away from the existing tours with the promise of big money paydays and a reduced schedule. The U.S.-based PGA Tour suspended members who opted to join Liv, but earlier this month, Liv Golf secured a U.S. television rights deal with the CW Network. Six Adelie Penguin Chips chicks are stealing the spotlight at Mexico's Guadalajara Zoo. Visitors adore the fluffy newcomers at the penguin nursery. The chicks were born in Guadalajara after 12 eggs were transported from San Diego's SeaWorld to Mexico. Six of the eggs hatched. It was part of an egg exchange to ensure the genetic diversity of the specimens in the zoo. Adelie penguins live and breed on the coast and small islands of Antarctica. Adult birds stand about 27 inches tall with a weight range of 6 to 13 pounds. Unlike other penguin species, Adelies live on the southernmost part of the continent. That is why recreating the conditions they require is so hard. Here at the zoo, we were able to recreate these conditions. They live in a completely controlled environment under 32 degrees. We have a machine that produces a ton and a half of snow every day. They receive all the attention and care needed to simulate Antarctica. The International Union for Conservation of Nature has categorized daily penguins as least concerned. The Mexican zoo is one of the few on the continent that cares for this Antarctic species. For an up-close look at the chicks, visitors can go to a special nursery separate from the adult penguins. Emergency workers in Russia's Moscow region rescued a bear who got trapped in a car tire while trying to play with it. Staff from the Center of Rescue tranquilized the nearly 900-pound animal and cut through the tire. It took them about seven minutes to free the bear. Russia's emergency ministry reported in its Telegram channel that the incident happened in Rus National Equestrian Park, some 20 miles southeast from central Moscow. Selfie fanatics have a new member on board, a black bear from Boulder, Colorado. The bear posed for hundreds of selfies on a motion-triggered wildlife camera. Boulder City Open Space and Mountain Park recently tweeted photos of the bear in various poses as if hamming it up for the camera. The park says of the more than 500 photos captured by the camera, nearly 400 were selfies of this bear. A wildlife ecologist was thrilled with the discovery. Last November, his colleagues installed this camera in a wooded area near the city center. We at the city of Boulder put out remote cameras to monitor wildlife throughout our system. Uh, We put a camera on a dead deer carcass that was hit by a car in November, uh, just curious to see what would come visit. Uh, And we're thrilled to see this large black bear. Uh, It came by just for a few nights uh, in the late fall. The bears are preparing for hibernation. And so this bear got lucky and had a nice big meal. um, And it hung out for a few days and then we got all those photos. And then it disappeared and we assume it went into hibernation. The community enjoyed seeing the bear in its element. Typically, the bears just walk sideways past the camera. So it's rare to have one interacting with the device. City wildlife officials say the cameras allow them to learn more about about how local species interact with the landscape, and they play a key role in identifying important wildlife areas.
Did you know that you can retrain your taste buds with a gradual change from added sugars to naturally sweet foods? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Cutting sugar from your diet isn't easy. Sugar cravings kick hard and can be difficult to ignore. Worse yet is that sugar is lurking in a number of products that you may never suspect. Although it might be difficult, limiting sugar is an essential component of good health. And if you're trying to control blood sugar or battling a condition such as heart disease or diabetes, it's essential. Cutting sugar cold turkey is nearly impossible. Added sugars take sweetness to a level that can't be matched by natural foods. So regardless of the sweet foods you eat, it seems like the sensation you seek is unreachable. Artificial sweetness can make it even harder. These products are often significantly sweeter than sugar and may make cravings even stronger. Instead, try cutting sugar incrementally. Cut out products with added sugars that don't taste sweet. Next, try cutting back on the amount of sugar you add to your coffee or tea, or the amount of soda you drink each day. Over time, your taste buds will adjust. Naturally sweet foods such as apples, berries, and even plain yogurt can hit the sweetness spot you are looking for. Here are some naturally sweet foods that can help you to manage blood sugar and reduce the risk of illness. Apples, pears, berries, melons, mangoes, grapes, dark chocolate in small servings, chia seeds for chia pudding, nuts, sweet potato and plain yogurt. You can add nuts, nut butter or berries. Each of these items is naturally sweet and can help you get over a craving. Remember to give your taste buds time to recalibrate. This is because these items are much less sweet than straight sugar or other sweeteners. Give yourself a couple of weeks to adjust. It's a small sacrifice for a much healthier future. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Music